to uh, do as we do each Sunday, have a look into God's Word. Uh, And we're looking at the Gospel of Luke, uh, the biography of Jesus, uh, account of his uh, teachings and his life given to us by uh, somebody who is uh, uh, just a a contemporary uh, of the contemporaries of Jesus at the time, Luke. He did a lot of research for his book, he tells us, and there's lots of good evidence that supports that, actually. But we're in Luke chapter um, 11. Uh, Luke chapter 11, which if you're using a Bible that should be one in arm's reach or somewhere, not, don't take one out of someone else's hand, obviously, although they might share it with you, if you're lucky. <laughs> um, and it's on page 1043, is uh, where we'll start. Now, I'm going to go out on a bit of a limb here, I suppose, but some of us of a certain age will remember um, easy listening music. Remember that? The whole genre of uh, a type of music. Uh, and you find it in sections of the library or in shops, you know, easy listening. Do they still have easy listening sections? I, I don't know. But anyway, I saw a Channel 4 documentary that actually unpicked what went into easy listening music, what, what, how it grew and where it came from. But that's not relevant right now, so I won't tell you any more. <laughs> Long before there was Muzak in lifts, there was easy listening. Now, if Jesus made CDs... Uh, then uh, you wouldn't find them in the easy listening section. Some of the things he had to say could be quite tough. And we're going to look at today at a a dinner party where, you know, in the old days, back in the 70s, where you'd have your dinner, where you'd have your prawn cocktail and, you know, all those uh, baked Alaska and those kind of 70s. Some of you are remembering this, aren't you? Yes. Some of you are thinking, what are you talking about? Yeah, in those days, you put on your easy listening music and, you know, it would be very nice and you'd have a nice evening. Well, we're going to go to a dinner where Jesus was, where that didn't quite happen like that. So we might be a bit shaken by what he says today. And stirred as well, I hope. We're on the road in Luke's gospel with Jesus. He's on his way towards Jerusalem, to the climax of his life. And this second half of the gospel has that journey in mind all the way through it. Um, There's a way to go yet, but it's it's Jesus' preoccupation. Remember, it says he set his face as a flint. He was heading for Jerusalem and what was going to happen there he was embracing his, his calling in that sense to suffer uh, and to fulfill uh, the Father's plan. But we'll, we'll see how that goes as we go on. But we're on the road with Jesus and uh, there are people with him. People like the disciples who are learning how to follow him. People like the crowd listening to his teaching. Last week we thought about and the week before about what Jesus has to say to the crowd who are there. Kind of picking it all, all up. We saw last week. uh, or the week before rather, that you can't be neutral in the crowd about Jesus. We saw last week that um, we need to respond, that the light that he gives is to be seen, to embrace, to be taken into our lives, not as uh, Lou put it, hidden in the basement somewhere where we can ignore it. It's meant to get into us. Well, today our focus is, is on another set of characters around Jesus on this journey. And these are called the Pharisees, uh, and the experts in the law. In the law, have we got something coming up here? The Pharisees and the experts in the religious law. And today, we're thinking about the Pharisees. Now, when I say the word Pharisees, if you've been around the Bible in any way, or remember Ari at school, or whatever, you tend to think about Pharisees in terms of their religious beliefs. 
And they were very religious in many ways. They were a bit like the Taliban, you know. They were like the kind of fundamentalist uh, Jewish people equivalent to, to that kind of mindset. They were, they were very kind of hot for, for doing the right thing. And we do think of them like that. And their big idea as Pharisees that they wanted uh, people to live religiously pure lives, okay? You had to be really doing the right thing. Again, a bit like the Taliban. You know, in, in Afghanistan, when the Taliban ruled, I used to know people who worked there. One of their little rules was that all men had to have beards. And if you didn't have a beard, if you were a man, they'd beat you up. And the way they knew how big your beard should be was whether it could fit into a, I think it was a, 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 a certain size tin, so they go around some of them with tins and check your beard. And if it wasn't long enough to fill the tin, they beat you up. I don't know what you did, you know, where you waited for your beard to grow that long. But, you know, it's that kind of mindset. You had to do the, exactly the right religious thing to be pure, to be, to be kind of ready to welcome God. Because everybody in Israel at the time were waiting for God to do the next big thing, to send his king. And the Pharisees thought you could get yourself ready for God in that way. And they were backed up. How the Pharisees knew what the regulations were was by another bunch of people who were described here as the teachers of the law, and we'll be meeting some of them as well. But the thing about the Pharisees is that they were more about about more things than religious ideas. They were very, very powerful in influencing and shaping the culture of, of Palestine at the time. Extremely powerful. I mean, in a, in a sense, they... And they did that not by force, actually. They weren't like the Taliban in that sense. They didn't do it by beating people up. But they had tremendous influence. They were very powerful. They used power. They were the chief political movers and shakers at the time. They had control of the media, such as it was. In fact, in many ways, they were like the media today. They shaped public opinion. They told you how you should behave, the kind of things you should laugh about or cry about, or the things that you know should you should all get worked up out. The the kind of values of the culture were were shaped and and directed by this bunch of people that we know of as the Pharisees, and that's important. One of these guys, one of these Pharisees, invites Jesus to dinner. And we're going to read about the dinner. Let's start in Luke 11, verse 37. So you've got the idea of who this is. Somebody, you know, a real powerful mover and shaker, shaper uh, that we're talking about. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. Now that, that's referring to, remember, if you were here last week, Jesus had been speaking about lots of stuff. And this Pharisee was there hearing it. Actually, it's the only time in the New Testament where you have a hint at what the meal was. It was probably lunch or brunch. It was, there's a word in here in the original that relates to the midday or the late morning meal. So probably the Pharisee has heard what Jesus said before and said, yeah, Jesus, you want to come to my place? Let's talk some more. Let's uh, find out more what this is all about. So that's uh, what happened. So when Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. That's how they used to sit at tables then. But the Pharisee, noticing that Jesus did not first wash before the meal, was surprised. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But give what is inside the dish to the poor and everything will be clean for you. 
So this meal with Jesus then doesn't start too well, does it? Have you ever had that experience? <laughs> um, I remember once when I was a student, a long time ago, I remember it as if it were today. Um, a few of us got together in somebody's, uh, we were en route somewhere, and one of our friends, there's a bunch of us as Christian friends, uh, invited us to stop off and have lunch at, at her place. And uh, it was a very nice place down, uh, I won't say where it was, in case uh, uh, you might pick up any clues, it doesn't really matter. Um, and uh, it was quite a posh house, and there were a few of us, and we were invited in. And, and you know how it can sometimes be students, your parents can kind of a bit overcompensate, can't they? You know, they can try a bit too hard sometimes with your friends. And, and that was what was happening. And, and this girl's mum had, you know, she put us in this dining room, it had a big vase of flowers on the table, and it was all like set out, it was really beautiful. And we came with a bunch of kind of scruffy students, we were sitting around this table, while she kind of waited on us. And one of my friends uh, was there, he, he's called John, and he, 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 was, we were, he was kind of small talking. We were all very, very uncomfortable with this. And uh, as he was talking, he, he, to make small talk, he, he started talking about the vase of flowers in the middle of the table. And he said something like, oh, that's a nice vase. I think one of us said something, oh, yeah, what if it's valuable? Someone said, is it Ming? Uh, and, and he said, oh, let's see, picked up the vase to look at the bottom of it. And the whole, all the water went all over this beautiful <laughs> dining room table. And it kind of, well, the host kind of made up for it and so on and so forth, but it, it didn't go well, I must admit. We didn't really recover. It was a bit like that kind of thing. See what happens here. Jesus upsets this Pharisee straight away. He doesn't go through all the elaborate washing that the Pharisees made. That doesn't mean he didn't wash his hands. He might have done or he might not. The point is there was all these religious, you had to wash your hands in certain ways, certain number of times in order to be pure. And Jesus didn't do that. And the host is surprised, maybe a bit shocked, a bit indignant. And Jesus picks that up and makes these comments. It doesn't exactly make it easy, does it? And he sums up the big idea, the big deal for the Pharisees. And what is the big idea? Well, the Pharisees, he says, you're all about image. You're all about what it looks like. Image. Not in the sense of you know, being cool, you know, that kind of image. But in the sense of being holy and pure and religiously right. You know, you, it's all about what other people think you're like by the kind of stuff you do, says Jesus. And he says, you Pharisees are all about that. He says, as long as it looks okay on the outside, what's inside doesn't matter as far as you're concerned. And, 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 and Jesus is picking up on the reason. He, he said, oh, look, don't worry about washing the hands. It doesn't matter that much about what it's like on the outside. He tells uh, this Pharisee and the other Pharisees that they're forgetting about the inside about what they're like as people. And he says to them, look, you know, you might, you know, you clean the outside of the cup, you look fine, yeah, it seems all good, but, but think about what's inside. He said, you're greedy. You're full of greed, wanting stuff for yourself. You're full of what Jesus, there's a word here called wickedness. Now that was a word that the, the Pharisees used a lot. They felt you could be polluted if you touched wicked people or went in, you know, near bad places or did wicked things. The very thing they wanted to avoid. Jesus says, you're full of that stuff you're trying to avoid. But you may be fine on the outside, but inside, look at yourselves. That's what Jesus is saying. Now I wonder whether that's what Jesus would say to us in our culture. 
We're obsessed with how we look. And I don't mean about being cool. I mean, yeah, I suppose young people and the rest of us are... Well, I, I don't really care. You can tell. I've had the same jacket for... I wore the same jacket for four years. I must get a new one. But, but you, you know, we, we, we're concerned about what our lives look like on the outside to people, aren't we? As long as we do the right thing. And Jesus would say, you're forgetting about the inside, if you're like that. We're obsessed in our culture with doing the right thing. Not religiously right. It might be better if we were in some ways. But the right by, you know, when the tabloids tell us to, you know, go into deep grief because the celebrity dies, then we all have to do it. Or when the tabloids tell us to scream in, in, in fury and, and, and form a lynch mob against uh, what may or may not be people who may or may not be pedophiles or something like that. Yeah, we join in the lynch mob. We, we, we do all this stuff, you know, we behave as we're told to behave by our culture on the outside. But Jesus said, what about the inside? And he'd say that, I think, to us, wouldn't he, in our culture? To the, to the, to the shapers of the, the, the institutions that tell us how we should behave or not. Jesus said, look, you're foolish, you Pharisees. Why is it foolish? Well, Jesus says, look, it's what God thinks that's important. He says to these Pharisees, you believe in God. Like many of us believe in God. Most of us here, probably all of us here believe in God. But many in our culture do have a kind of idea of God of some sort. And if you believe in God, then Jesus says, look, guys, you know, yeah, he sees the outside. But if he's a creator God at all, if he's a God worth the name God, then he'll see the inside. So you better think about the inside, hadn't you? That's what Jesus is saying. And he's saying, look, so clean up on the inside. Don't shape your behavior by what's outside, but start shaping things from the inside. Show God's love. He says, give to the poor. Reflect God's kindness. They were trying to be pure with him. So if you want to be pure, if you want to be good for God, or if you want to do the right thing, well, do the right thing inside. Do the kind of things God does. Love, justice, good stuff. That's what Jesus is saying. From the inside out. So we need to stop and think. Face up. What am, what am I like on the inside? What are you like on the inside? You know, maybe the Pharisee is reminded of what he'd heard Jesus say the, the, that very morning. The reason he invited him to lunch in the first place. You know, Jesus talked about all that light that needs to be got right into the whole of our beings. Maybe he's thinking, yeah, mm, yeah, Jesus was saying that before. So... It's a bit uncomfortable. Not a good start for the Pharisee, was it? So what happens next, Seth? What happens next? Someone changes the subject. <laughs> Someone of the guests says, yeah, we've been having hot weather lately. It's Palestine. <laughs> no, let's see what happens. Let's read on. Verse 42. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, because you're like unmarked graves which men walk over without knowing it. Hmm. And then one of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. 
Now, Jesus kind of overflows in these statements. I want to look at this phrase. Woe, woe to you. We don't use it. What, is, what does it mean? It's a difficult phrase to translate. It's not saying you're, it's not a kind of, you're bad, you're terrible, you're disgusting, I hate your guts, you're evil, you know, kind of pouring out condemnation on them. That's not what it's like. We, we t- kind of sometimes think it is like that because that's perhaps the image we have of God. We think that's what God's like. You know, all he's interested in doing is condemning and hating us and doing all this stuff like that. That's not what God's like. That's not the God we see in Jesus. That is not what Jesus is doing. So what is it? It's more like, you know, have you ever had a situation where you think, oh no, this is terrible. Something happens, or, you know, you, you think, or somebody behaves in a certain way. The, the, the word is kind of like, alas, it's, oh dear, oh dear, oh dear, this is, this is sad, this is bad. You know, I, I found myself saying a couple of times when something's happened or someone's behaved in a certain way, I, I, I found myself saying, oh, I'm really disappointed in that. I haven't said that to them, but, you know, to myself. I'm really sad about that. I'm really disappointed. You've had that experience? Yeah, I'm really... That's sad, isn't it? That's terrible. That's the emphasis. That's what Jesus... That's, that, that's what's conveyed in this word in the original and I want us to think for a minute or two about what made Jesus feel like that. What made him think, oh no, oh, that's, I'm disappointed, that's terrible. What made him feel like that about them? And what might make him feel about that, like that, about us? Okay? But remember, it's not just a blanket condemnation. It's a kind of, oh no, there's better for us than this. And what does he say? Well, when does Jesus feel like that? Here's the first thing in this passage. When we miss what's really important. See what he says there about the Pharisees? He said, look, you've got rules about how much you should give. They believe seriously in tithing. That is giving a tenth of everything to God. So, you know, in your larder, I suppose, you know, at the time, if you weren't in a cash economy, you know, if you had, I can't do the maths, I suppose, but whatever it is, if you had... Uh, a kilogram of flour, you might give 100 grams, is that right? Yeah, 100 grams of flour you'd give to God. You set it on one side. That, that, that's the kind of way they worked. And the, but the, that was the general kind of idea. But, the, but Jesus is saying, you Pharisees, you don't, you, know, you, you don't just kind of think about the flour and the rice or whatever you have in your staples. You know, the, the herbs you just sprinkle on top, you're going to try and make out a tenth of that. And give it to God. That's the kind of idea. You're so meticulous. In, you've got all these details and all these rules and all these regulations. regulations. But he says things like that God loves most of all justice and love. Well, you just leave that completely. You're too busy counting out your one out of ten t- uh, herbs to actually do the kind of stuff God wants you to do in your lives. Jesus says, this is disappointing. This is sad. There's more for you than living like this, says Jesus. You're missing out on being with God in the way he wants, in what he does. It could be coming out of you. It could be part of your walk with him. Remember Micah 6, verse 8, an Old Testament phrase. What, O man or O woman, does the Lord require of you? Micah 6, verse 8, that you uh, love justice mercy and walk humbly with your God. 
that as you love what God loves, justice and mercy and righteousness, you walk with him. That's what Jesus is saying to them. You're missing it. You know, and we can be like that. We can miss what's really important, can't we? Maybe as Christians, we can be so meticulous about giving. Think about the building. We may be meticulously tithing and above money for the building project. And we do that, but you know, the, the refugee, we just walk by. Or the person who's struggling, we just miss. We don't do anything because we're so meticulously keeping the rules. Or in our, in, our, in our culture, I think, today, not thinking of believers. You know, when the tabloids say, hey, everybody, this is appalling grieve. <laughs> or, you know, there's a disaster that's happening, so everybody's getting, got involved or... Or whatever, or, you know, uh, and I've got nothing against this, but although it's an interesting cultural phenomenon, somebody you don't know at all, have anything to do with, you know, tragically has an accident or something, you know, and, and you end up with, you know, 2,000 people who had no idea about that person or that family put flowers in the corner, but because it's kind, of, it's kind of what the tabloids say you've got to do to be real in our culture. But actually, you'd walk by somebody, you put some flowers at the, at the corner of an unknown street for an unknown person, because you see it in the media or you read it on Facebook, but you don't actually act in love and mercy. I've got nothing to do, if you do that, please, I'm not condemning that, it's absolutely fine. Because Jesus says about the, t- the tithes, good, do that, yeah, if you want to tithe your herbs, fantastic. But don't miss what's really important inside how we follow the Lord. It's terrible, says Jesus, when that happens. It's really sad when we miss what's really important. And it's really sad when we're driven by wanting to be celebrities. See what he goes on to say? You love, verse 43, woe to you Pharisees. Oh, it's really sad because you're driven by the most important seats in the church, in the synagogue. You want the highest place and you want everyone to see you. Hey, it's not only X-Factor candidates who want to be celebrities, is it? (laughs) It's not only those people. It's my dream. Jesus says, you love those things. What do we love? What do we really, really love? What do we really, really want? And Jesus says, it's sad when we want the wrong things. It's really sad when all we're driven by is a desire to be famous or to have celebrity or something. So what, let's ask ourselves, what do we really love? What do we really value? What does our culture really worship? There will be answers to those questions, even the third one. Because we're human beings. We're made to love things. We're made to worship things. Well, we're not made to worship things. We're made to worship. We're made to worship God. If we don't love him... We'll be loving something else. And it'll be the center of our lives. It'll be worship of something other than what God's made us to worship. Him. And Jesus says, that's terrible when that happens. That's so sad. What else is really terrible? There's a third thing here. Jesus says, it's really terrible when what's inside ends up spoiling everything. Look at that, verse 44. 
Woe to you because you're like unmarked graves which men walk over without knowing it. Bit of background here. The Pharisees, remember I said they wanted everybody to be pure for the Lord. They believed that you could be polluted by touching or being close to something that wasn't pure. The mo- one of the most impure things in their thinking in the Old Testament law was death or a dead body. Graves in particular. And the worst thing a Pharisee could do was, you know, accidentally walk across an unmarked grave because he, they were so close to, to death and to the stuff that they'd have to go through huge elaborate rituals to get themselves clean again. See, that's in their, their, in their thinking. Jesus says, you're like unmarked graves. He says, you pollute other people, he says, because of what's inside you. You want everyone to be pure for God. You're actually polluting people because they think you're great. They think you're pure. But actually inside, you're not. And Jesus is saying what's inside kind of seeps out and ends up polluting, spoiling other people. Ring any bells in our culture? If you don't deal, if we don't deal what's inside, if we don't deal with our inner lives, if we don't know God's presence, God's life, God's justice, God's love, God's forgiveness, God's power, if we don't have that in our inner lives, although we may look good, the stuff inside has a habit of coming out. Oscar Wilde wrote a short story called The Portrait of Dorian Gray. If you know the story, it's about that kind of process. I haven't got time to, to go into it now. I think it was a film. It's remade, I think, wasn't it? Anyway, yeah. See, our culture says, as long as it looks good, as long as you seem to be holding it together, as long as you can spin your way through life, then it's fine. Jesus says, No. That's terrible. That's sad. It's not how it should be. Our culture says that inner life doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what you like on the inside. Doesn't matter what drives you. Hey, look at Jimmy Savile. But don't look at Jimmy Savile. Our whole culture worshipped the man. Because it didn't matter. People ignored what was actually driving him. That wasn't in my notes, it just came to me. So our culture says that. Jesus says, it matters. Your inner life matters. It matters, it matters. And it's so terrible, it's so sad when you don't get that. Now, there were others. Oh, yes, sorry, let's not be positive. I've got a positive statement. But look at what Jesus says as well. Because you have to put it with what he said you know, before the lunch, in the previous few verses. And in the previous few verses, what the Pharisee had heard Jesus talk about was how the people of Nineveh, remember the story of Jonah, they repented, they responded, they got, they, change came into their lives. So you've got to realize that this is in the context of Jesus saying, it doesn't have to be like this, we can repent. John White, uh, psychologist, uh, great writer and uh, thinker, bit of a theologian, mainly a psychiatrist, wrote a great book on repentance. He called it Changing on the Inside. That's a great 
description, isn't it, of repentance. The word repentance in the Bible means a change of mind that leads to a change of behavior, a change of direction. And Jesus is saying all of this, oh, this is terrible, but don't forget he's already said it can be different. The reason he's there, the reason he's on his way to Jerusalem is so that it can be different. Well, let's read on. No, we won't. First of all, let's think about the experts of the law before we read on. Now, as I said before, they were also at the lunch. They worked with the Pharisees. So if the Pharisees carried the values like the media today, well, the the religious law experts provided all the ideas and the, the detailed thinking and the theology behind it all. And they did that by meticulously working out what God's law was all about. They had huge kind of volumes and and details right down to the minutest details. The Pharisees got their idea of tithing the herbs and which herbs tithed and how much. They had an idea of exactly how much. I I I was reading a book. It it said they had, had rules about how you could carry things on the Sabbath day. You could carry a wallet, for example, a, a wallet, a pouch type thing, as long as it was a certain way up. You could do something on, as long as you didn't put it on your shoulder. You know, there's just a, there was like a whole volume of stuff about what you could carry on the Sabbath day. And you know, for all the rest of it, there was as much material. And it was all did provided by the experts in the religious law. They were mysterious, but they had great power. So like today, if the media, our media is like the Pharisees, telling us what to do, telling us how we should live, telling us what we're supposed to believe and what we're supposed to value and how we're supposed to behave, then behind all of that, there's another, actually there's another group of people who are incredibly powerful, who provide all the ideas, all the gobbledygook, all the mystery. Actually, I think they're called economists. <laughs> See what you think. If you're on Facebook, uh, on, my, on my page, my son uh, put up a, an article from The Independent about the power of P. Uh, no, sorry, the power of E. Everyone in power has done PPE, mainly at Oxford or Cambridge. And E stands for economic, economics. Nobody in power has, it can be anywhere unless you, you've... you've and, and the article is all about how economy, economics rather, economists are like the high priests of our culture. The one with all the mysterious new, all the mysterious stuff, all the secret ways, all the, if you do what they want, then, you know, the gods will be kind to you. All that kind of stuff. Fascinating. And I, and I think there's a sense in which the, the teachers of the law were a bit like that. That's my idea. It's only my opinion. I'm not saying that's what God says, but you'd like, if you want to think about it, see what you think. Let's read what Jesus says to these guys. Sorry, a bit of a digression there. Verse 45. One of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Jesus isn't put off by that. He says, and you experts in the law, woe to you. I'm so sad about you because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry. And you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Woe to you because you build tombs for the prophets and it was your forefathers who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your forefathers did. They killed the prophets and you build their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world. From the blood of Abel, Abel's the first martyr in the Old Testament. 
to the blood of Zechariah. He's in 2 Chronicles 16. Historically, timeline is as they had their Old Testament, he was the last martyr in their Old Testament. Somebody called Zechariah, not the one who wrote the book in the Bible, but somebody else. Who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. Woe to you experts in the law, because you've taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who are entering. When Jesus left there, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. I'm going to go, this is much more briefly. Okay. But again, it's the same idea. Whoa, oh no, this is terrible. This is sad. But more than that, he says, doesn't he, it's heading for disaster. If you've got a forward focus like mine, uh, you know, well done, I was going to say, or commiserations I don't know anyway it's got two warning lights Uh, if it comes up yellow little engine sign comes up yellow it means you kind of need to do something about that sometime Uh, I've got one on permanently but I know why and it's okay (laughs) my mechanic says it's okay he turns it off every time it's serviced and anyway that's okay but if the if the little engine light comes on and it's red you're in trouble I asked the mechanic once, but when the oil was getting low, I said, presumably that an oil warning light would come along. He said, yeah, but when the red light comes on, probably the engine's already seized up. Or the brake, that's why it tells you in the manual, as soon as the red light comes, always stop right then, if it's safe to do so, of course. Because you're in deep trouble. The end of your engine is nigh when the red light <laughs> comes. If what Jesus said to the Pharisees, that's a yellow light warning. Time to do something about it, time to change. What comes up to the lawyers is a red light warning. And it's pretty hard to read. I'm not going to dwell on it, but you can see what he says. But just to give you the highlights of what Jesus is saying. What is it he's saying, woe to you? He says, you're just about yourselves. You load people down, you make rules for them, you kind of give them emotional taxes almost. You know, they have to do all this stuff, carry all this stuff. And yet you make yourself little loopholes. Sounds a bit like bankers, doesn't it? You know, you make yourself little, little loopholes where you don't have to, you get away with it. You don't have to keep the laws yourself because you know it so well. You, you write little kind of escape routes into it. You load people down with all this heavy stuff. But you're fine, you don't care. You're in it for yourselves, just Jesus. Whoa, he says, that's terrible. Verse 52, he says, you actually have the key to knowledge about God, the scripture. These guys, they studied the Old Testament. They knew the truth. He said, you don't want it for yourself. He said, you haven't used the key yourself to find God's truth. and re- You don't want that, really. You just want for yourselves. And, and not only do you don't want to have it for yourselves, you've taken the key and you've thrown it away so nobody else can go in either because of your rebellion. It's pretty serious stuff, isn't it? And then he, there's this bit about um, you've rejected God's word. He says, you look, you people, obviously at the time, they, they were building kind of monuments to some of the prophets. He said, yeah, you people in your culture, you're building all these wonderful monuments. I suppose a bit like, you know, we, we love cathedrals, don't we? We build wonderful cathedrals, great monuments, you know, about, yeah, this is wonderful to have these wonderful Christian cathedrals. But, but you, know, you know, take what God says in Genesis about marriage and, ooh, ooh no, no, thank you. See, Jesus is saying, you're rejecting God's word because it's all about you and you're turning your backs on God. And Jesus actually warns them. 
He said, God will hold you responsible. And that's a very serious warning there to the lawyers at this time. And Jesus, don't forget, is saying, this is terrible. It's sad. Oh, it shouldn't be like this. This is so disappointing. And don't forget, later on this same journey, Jesus is going to stop on the Mount of Olives and he's going to look across at Jerusalem and he's going to cry. Tears are going to roll down his face because he said, I, I, I wanted you to come to me, but you would not. I loved you. Jerusalem, you killed the prophets. Yeah, and it, so Jesus isn't saying, you bad people. He's saying, oh, this is terrible. Any hope for experts in the law? Is the red light on? Seems to be, doesn't it? I want to give you a bit of hope, because it's always good to have some hope. There's an expert in the law in Mark 12, uh, verse 34. Uh, If you want to follow it, you can um, do so. It's on page 1018. This teacher of the law comes along. He's had had a question about... uh, He's um, asked Jesus a question in verse 28. And Jesus, the man answers... Uh, uh, or sorry, he asked Jesus a question. Jesus gives an answer, and the, the teacher of the law says, "Well, uh, uh, well said, teacher." The man says, "I agree with what you say, Jesus. You're right in saying that God is one. There's no other God to love Him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbour as yourself. That's more important than burnt offerings and sacrifice. More important in doing all this stuff is loving God. That's a teacher of the law says that to Jesus. What does Jesus say to him? Verse thirty-four. You are not far from the kingdom of God. That's the hope. You can even be a lawyer. You can not a lawyer. Not sorry. We need lawyers. But, you know, you can even be a, the equivalent of a religious expert in the law, part of that group that's, that that Jesus is condemning up there. But you can also be near to the kingdom of God. I want you to hold on to that. So when, let's finish. It's not easy listening, is it? But we need to hear Jesus. Hear what he's saying. Hear his heart. Hear him when he says, it's terrible. It's so sad. I wish it weren't so. It could be different. It's sad to think the inner life doesn't matter. And to miss out what God wants to do with transforming our inner lives. It's so sad to believe in God uh, at any kind of level. But to miss the opportunity to be like God in love and justice and goodness. It's so sad to be driven by celebrity to love the wrong things. It's so sad to find our inner lives wrecking the lives of other people because we don't repent. We don't find God's life for us in Jesus. And it's so sad when we get to a point where our selfishness, our rejection of God, and all that he wants to do and give us in our lives leads us only towards judgment. So sad. That's what Jesus says. At the dinner. It's not easy listening, but let's hear him. And if the yellow light is on, stop. Start changing on the inside. And it's only through Jesus that we can do that. And we can only do that if we turn to him.